0: All right, well, take your Bibles, if you would, and let's look to Luke's Gospel, chapter one. The Gospel of Luke, chapter one, as we make our way through this wonderful account. And you can already tell that as we head into the Thanksgiving and then Christmas season, we're going to be well prepared because we're just going to continue to cover the narrative as it moves forward. Jump into a couple of other places along the way in the other Gospels. Has ever been a time in your life when you, uh, in your Christian life, when you're pondering the truths of salvation, and suddenly there's a an overwhelming sense of your own unworthiness that occurs just when you're on your own, just thinking. And then, along with that overwhelming sense of unworthiness, there is the realization, the sobering realization that you deserve judgment. Not only are you unworthy of what you do have in the gospel, but, but actually what you deserve is something far more terrifying. And then as you ponder the, the thing that you really deserve from this wonderful holy God, another conviction suddenly rushes over you and kind of makes your hair stand on end. And that is the reality that this holy, true and living God, the only true and living God there is, the one who created the universe, looked down upon your hopeless and helpless condition, looked upon the vileness that is there that offends him every moment. And instead of doling out justly what he should and what we deserve. Instead of that, this rushing conviction comes over you that you were shielded from that and given its very opposite. Love. Divine love. Eternal love. Mercy. Forgiveness. And then as that begins to permeate your heart and your mind that you've been shielded from the holy justice of God and your sin has been covered by His mercy. You begin to realize that He has planned this from before time began, before He created. As we come to the study this morning, that's where we find these cousins, Mary and Elizabeth. That's where we find them. We find them overwhelmed, under conviction... And full of the, the kind of rush that sometimes by the Spirit of God comes over us when we're alone. Just pondering the reality that we are unworthy and we deserve justly the crushing horrors of eternal separation from God's love. Only the rebellious sinner wouldn't want God's love. Because if you had no rebellion in your heart that would suppress His grace and His kindness, you would reach for His love, want His love, desire His love, pray for His love. You would reach with all your might and every resource you had to have it so you could be with Him. But as you ponder that you don't deserve it and that you're unworthy to have it and couldn't ever merit it, we find... Mary and Elizabeth in the same place you'd be when you begin to realize that you didn't receive it. You didn't receive judgment, but you were given instead love. I've entitled this morning's message, Mighty Yet Merciful, How Could It Be? It's a line from one of my favorite choruses in a choral octavo that was written some years ago. Mighty Yet Merciful, How Could It Be? The high king of heaven extends grace to me. My sins were many. My merits were none. But you are the mighty yet merciful one. We learned some great insights about what Luke records here, about what happened with Mary and Elizabeth. And we're going to focus on three insights this morning that come from this text. And we'll have to move quickly because I want to say quite a bit about them and draw out some implications. Just follow along as I read from verse 39. Now at this time, Mary rose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has had regard for the humble state of His bondslave, and behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm, and He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down the rulers from their thrones and he's exalted those who were humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. We're going to learn some insights, three of them I want to draw out this morning. First of all, we learn what inspires the kind of love God, the kind of worship God loves, rather. What inspires the kind of worship that God does truly love? We're also going to learn how real humility is expressed. When we sometimes talk about humility, we might mistake certain outward surface things as humility, but There's nothing surface about what is expressed here, and it identifies real humility. So we learn not only what inspires the kind of worship God loves, but we learn how real humility is always expressed. And lastly, we're going to learn where faith is grounded. Where is real faith grounded? If you ground it in the wrong place, you're going to have a serious, difficult time understanding and then growing in the Lord. Where is real faith, true faith, grounded? The first insight we come to is the kind of worship God loves. What inspires it? Where does it come from? If you want to worship God and be a worshiper of the kind that he says he wants, as he told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, The Father seeks true worshipers who worship Him in spirit and truth with their whole inside, no desire, no affection that doesn't rise upward in perfect worship. That's who God is seeking. And those who are grounding that worship in truth, it is based in truth, rises from truth, an understanding of truth, and ultimately a belief in that truth. What inspires the kind of worship God loves? Well, we know why generally or overall Mary is praising God here. She just received some impossible news as the angel Gabriel had given it to her. And you remember it came according to the sovereign timing of God. It was Gabriel's duty to deliver this unfathomable message of undeserved favor upon this young peasant girl. And it was news of a monarch like no other monarch. It was news of a monarch whose name would be unequaled and kingdom would be unrivaled. He was a monarch of the character and nature that would be unprecedented, for he would be holy. This was going to be an unimaginable conception. And of course, it was confirmed by declaring that another wonderful act of God, something to overthrow the impossible, had also occurred with Mary's cousin. So we know in general... And overall, why she is beginning to praise God. But what is it specifically in her life that wells up inside and explodes upon her heart in wonder and adoration? Where did that come from, that it would just come forth as we see in both these women, but particularly in this wonderful expression of worship? This is not unusual, by the way, when people truly are... um, bound up in the same kinds of understandings that you have with Mary here. The psalmists of Israel poetically fashioned their praise into lyrics and it became the songs of the people and it exploded forth from the psalmists as they poured over the same kinds of truth. It happened frequently in the, in the early moments and even hours of the first church Acts chapter 2, verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe as they were coming together as a body around the reality of their salvation. Chapter 2, verses 46 and 47 of Acts, Luke, Luke records that they took their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. It was spontaneous. It was, it was the fullness of the heart coming forth. Disciples continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts thirteen fifty two says. This often happened to Paul all over the Scriptures as he penned what God had inspired him to write. Romans 25. he says the Creator who is blessed forever, Amen. And that became a repeated phrase. Romans nine verse five Christ is over all God blessed forever, Amen. Right in the middle of the letter he just keeps. Sh- exploding with praise statements that rise to God and end up being a part of the church's psalter or songs. Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Romans 16, To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. He said it in Gal- to the churches in Galatia, Galatians 1, 4 and 5, God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Now unto Him be the glory in the church, through Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I mean, it just comes out of the pen of someone who is experiencing exactly what Mary is experiencing. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians four twenty. Now under the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.17 Our Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, and Lord of lords, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. 1 Timothy 6 Bible characters, the people of God, were put upon by the Spirit of God. They were, Their hearts were... Dressed and ready and prepared for praise. What specifically is driving this in Mary? Well, this may surprise you. But her worship didn't begin with the thoughts that she expresses here. Because what inspires her praise occurred before this statement comes out of her mouth. And it begins back in verse 38 with what I'll call the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Verse 38 Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Now look at verse 39. At this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Mary's praise began with the obedience of faith, where all praise begins. You can come to church and try to crank up worship with your favorite melody. You can try to get busy putting your hands to some service work, but unless you are obeying in faith, it's going to be difficult. Unless you're entrusting yourself, like Mary, to the promises and plans of God, it's going to be challenging. Unless you're setting aside every lofty notion raised up against the knowledge of God Worship is going to be substandard, shallow, superficial. It's going to decline. It's not going to ascend. Mary took every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. She believed. She said, may it be done to me. She trusted the purposes of God and she owned it and got up and prepared and went. This is true faith. This is what brings a heart that is sitting there contemplating the cross and becomes overwhelmed. The reason worship is so shallow in the church today is because the faith is so shallow. You cannot crank up enough emotion to produce genuine worship. Genuine worship is occurring when God is believed. It's a very, very simple act. That's true faith. When you stop desiring to feel a certain way, before you can obey God. When you stop demanding circumstances be explained. When you empty yourself of your own perspective and stop arguing and disputing the unfolding providence of God. When you don't hesitate in doubt, and then somehow, if you did doubt, you sometimes excuse it with complaints that, that indicate you had no other choice. Mary wouldn't do this you wouldn't excuse doubt doubt would be unbelief be your own doing true worship of the living god begins with faith hebrews 11:6 apart from faith it is impossible to please god for he who comes to god must believe that he is did you know there is no other explanation than just that he who comes to God must believe that He is, and then one other phrase, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Look, if you just believed that He exists as He was revealed Himself, and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him, you don't have to seek anything else. No explanations, no better circumstances, no uh, clue in on life, what He's doing in His providence, how He's working all of His redemption out. You believe that He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's what she did. That's what she did. She offered no extenuating conditions to God. Wait, Lord, I need more details. Just a second, Lord. How's this going to affect my dreams and my life plans from here on out? Just a moment, Lord. I know what Your Word says, but what about my reputation? Think about that. The angel had just told her, you're going to have to say that you're pregnant and you've never known a man. She did not say, what about my reputation? To be Aligned with God's purposes and allow God's reputation to cover her was all she wanted. True worship begins when your heart is filled with real faith in the promises of the living God. That's why worship today is so shallow. That's why people have to crank up more aesthetics. That's why they have to manipulate emotions. And how is faith confirmed as real? When you yield to God's word. She went. She went. Why does God love that? Because the very first sin committed by Adam and Eve was to demand from God an explanation or we're going to press through the barrier. Don't eat of the tree or you'll die. I want more explanation than that. I want to press through the barrier. There's something on the other side of that barrier that entices me. Furthermore, there was an affirmation of her faith. Notice what happens. Verse forty one when elizabeth heard mary's greeting the baby leaped in her womb that's interesting and elizabeth was filled with the holy spirit okay elizabeth had not been if, as we don't have any idea that elizabeth was told about mary being given this announcement and elizabeth was 6 months pregnant at the time so Mary shows up, she greets Elizabeth, and the baby leaps in her womb, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and suddenly all of that revelation floods into her mind. Why? What was the Holy Spirit doing? Was He giving Elizabeth an experience she could take on the road with her? No. He was using Elizabeth as an instrument by which He would affirm her faith. Mary's faith. Mary's faith. Notice. She cried out with a loud voice by the power of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. There it is. That's what Mary hears. First thing she hears. She comes in Hi, Elizabeth. The baby leaps in her womb. Elizabeth stands up and cries out with a loud voice. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord, where would that information come from? From the Holy Spirit. Wow, there is Elizabeth. She knows her husband is still mute. (laughs) She's not mute. (laughs) It must have been interesting. Hmm? (laughs) If you just believe. Maybe God would open things up a bit. Elizabeth's not mute. She immediately is filled with the Holy Spirit. She... Stands up and she cries out with a loud voice. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women. And how is it that it happened to me? There's humility here. How is it that it's happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Not only am I thrilled that you are, as my cousin, the mother of my Lord, but that you would come over here so that I could rejoice with you? And notice... How does she know that? Verse 44, But behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. She knew why her baby moved. She knew why John the Baptist moved. Because he was... A prophet from his mother's womb. And he leaped. And this was revelation flooding into her mind from the Holy Spirit. And notice the confirmation here. The affirmation of Mary's faith. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So now Elizabeth knows Mary had something spoken to her by the Lord. She knows the result. It's the Lord in her womb. And she knows that Mary's faith is real because she showed up. The sweet of the Holy Spirit affirming to her. You say, "Well, I wish I could have that experience." Listen, the same Spirit that filled Elizabeth is the same Spirit that wrote the Scriptures. People say to me all the time, "Oh, I just don't know if my faith is real." Go to the Scriptures. You want affirmation? Go to the scriptures. You want affirmation? Look for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you shed your own experience and your own perspective and you believe God for what he says. You want faith that's affirmed? Believe what God says. Get rid of your own arguments. Entrust yourself to it. And then listen to its affirmation of your faith. It's the same spirit. And you have the Spirit living within you as a believer. He will fill your heart with that rush, that overwhelming sense of joy and affirmation. You say, but I still doubt. That's because you refuse to believe. You still want something that God isn't giving, you still want your own convincing. You want God to do something that convinces you. Stop that. Let God do what He says He'll do, believe His Word. Stop living according to the temporal, as Dan said earlier. Look to the eternal. What kind, of, what kind of power is behind this worship? The kind of worship God loves? Obedience? That is rooted in real faith and affirmed. Then we have the second insight. How is true humility always expressed? I love this. How is true humility always expressed? Two things, very quickly. Exaltation and proclamation. Always. Exaltation of the honor of Christ and the proclamation of the truth that honors Him. Always. People say, oh, you know, that guy's really humble. Really? I want to know. Do they exalt the honor of Christ? And do they proclaim the truth that honors him? That's what you see in this precious young peasant girl. Notice verse 46. This is on the heels of Mary being affirmed in her faith by the Holy Spirit through Elizabeth. And Mary said, by the way, there's no indication of a time limit here. It just happened right on the heels of Elizabeth crying out with a loud voice, and so Mary said, "My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior." Um, I love this term here. It is um, it is megaluno or megalune in the original language, and it's it's the word that you know what mega means, right? You know a little Greek, don't you? You use the word mega. So, you know a Greek prefix large. And lune is and large, the and large. So, to enlarge, verb to enlarge. So, the better way to see it is to magnify. Todd Murray always says in the beginning of the service, or often says, Lord, get yourself glory. That's this idea. This is a person saying, use me to get yourself magnified. That's the idea to enlarge the magnification, the display of the honor of Christ in one's life. That is what she is saying. My soul enlarges and puts on greater display the glory and the honor of Christ. Why? Because my inner being my spirit is rejoicing or has rejoiced in God my savior why do i want him magnified because he is god he is my savior and the joy that fills my heart because of my redemption is just it just cannot be contained now we know that god cannot be greater than he is he he is glory he is perfect he can't be added to or diminished by something in his temporal creation or his finite creation But our hearts can enlarge the display of it. Our lives can manifest a greater display of the reflection of who God is. And that's what she's saying here. I want God to be magnified in me. And when we learn of some deeper aspect of God's character, that's a truth that we ought to hold on to and ponder. Because the deeper your theology, the greater your ability to magnify His character and reflect it. It, It's beyond me how anyone could, could not adequately diagnose what's wrong with the church today. If you don't go deep into the honor and truth of God's Word, you will not know how to display it in your life. No wonder the church is so shallow. No wonder evangelicalism suffers from worship that doesn't really magnify God's glory. It's cheap. It's cheapened because we're not pondering deeper theology. Mary's theology transformed her inner life and she longed to have larger thoughts of God. She knew she could never exhaust the infinite wonder of His being. And she desired to have the most enlarged view she could so that she could reflect the largest view of Him that she could. That's what she's doing here. And notice she confesses her need. That's how she exalts and magnifies the Lord. Verse 48, these are explanatory phrases. Why? Why is my soul wanting the magnification of His glory? For He has had regard for the humble state of His slave. (laughs) She's confessing her need. She's already called God her Savior and now she's explaining it. He's regarded the humble state of His slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. I said to you last week, the reason is, is because she is getting favor from God, yet she is this little peasant, pathetic sinner like the rest of us in need of a Savior. He shows up in that little village to this girl, just going about her chores, a nobody She sees herself as someone in need amidst the people who are in need. And within a world that is in a desperate state of fallenness, that's how she views life. People are so trying to get away from the deeper sobering reality of human life. Listen, let the fallen condition of humanity sink into your heart. Because as your condition sinks into your heart... The wonder of redemption becomes so rich and clear and profound and humbling. People try to run from conviction. I would never run from conviction. I don't want to do that. If it's God's word convicting me, I don't want to run from that. People say, I want to feel good when I come to church. Really? Well, okay, so you had your favorite donut. Who cares? So now you feel good. I want you to... To know the glories of redemption. So you you must own what Mary owns here. She confesses the need and owns it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Who know they're spiritually bankrupt. Bankrupt! I have nothing. Nothing of my own I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's it merits are none. Psalm 34:18 The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proud people are never truly worshipful. They come in with their expectations and their puny little human ways. They put God on trial. You don't do this for me, God. You don't give me this, and you yeah, church isn't this for me. And I, it isn't for you. Everything is about the magnification of His glory. And so, like Mary, we must go deep. We must ponder the sobering reality of our need like she does here. That's why generations will count her blessed. Because God's favor has come upon one so unworthy. Notice the proclamation. The proclamation, verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. (laughs) This song, by the way, is composed of all kinds of allusions to the Old Testament and a couple quotes. It follows the same form of the song that was sung by all the young women in Israel. Hannah's song, which you remember from 1 Samuel 2, when Samuel was born, Hannah then burst forth in this wonderful song, and this follows the similar pattern, but then Mary even quotes Psalm 103 and Psalm 107, she says his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him, and then verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, this is this is the proclamation of God's willingness to come and the proclamation of His mightiness to accomplish it. And we'll see that in the last insight here in just a moment, but here what you have is the exaltation of and magnification of God's glory and then you have this proclamation of His truth. Humble people speak the Bible. Humble people magnify the honor of Christ and they, they love to protect, to proclaim, to uphold, to clarify, to understand the truth that honors Christ. Churches that uphold the word of God and walk their people through it and equip us in its clarity that want to know what it truly says, that want to submit to its implications, that ask God to bring conviction from what we read, that read it, that apply it, that exhort people in it. That is the proclamation of truth. I'm not interested in opinions. We're not interested in the, the... party line of the day. We're not interested in what the culture says it thinks it needs. We're not interested in answering the questions they're asking. I don't care about the questions that sinners ask. I want to know what God says we must have. That's all we want to care about. Why? Because truly humble people honor Christ and proclaim the truth that is from Christ. People in churches all the time say they honor Christ. First thing I look at is the pulpit. I don't, the claims mean nothing to me. I hope they do. I hope they preach. And I hope they don't preach opinions. I hope they preach the word. And it doesn't really matter what their ability, as long as they'll dig. I remember years ago when we were first saved, my wife and I searched and searched and searched for a truth that would exalt God's word and proclaim it and exalt the honor of Christ because of it. And we couldn't find one. And, and we were fairly new, but, but we were listening to pre- a preacher on cassette tape. Wow, there's a blast from the past we were beyond eight track by then but we knew what eight tracks were and i remember remember we went to this one church and the pulpit was weak and shallow and we were just young but i mean it was just drivel but there was a sunday school teacher there that didn't have much skill at all but man he he would dig all week just loved to dig you know his tools were meager But he excited our hearts and he gave us great insight, the depth of understanding. He was humble. And that's how true humility is always expressed, exaltation and proclamation. Lord, magnify yourself through my life and let me proclaim the truth about you. This is what Mary says. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. He has mercy upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He's done mighty deeds with His arm. He scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. I mean, she's just going on with her Old Testament understanding that she'd been taught. And this little teenage girl knew true humility and how to express it. She wasn't even really thinking about being humble. She's just thinking about the God who humbles. Finally, not only do we learn what inspires the kind of worship God loves and how true humility always is expressed, but where true faith is grounded. Where true faith is grounded. Verse 54, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, there it is, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Here is where true faith is grounded, in divine promises and divine power to carry them out. Real faith for everyday life For this young peasant girl, as well as us today, real faith, if you want to know what its roots are, if you want to know where it is grounded, it is grounded in the character of Almighty God. It's not grounded in how his unfolding circumstances are assessed by us. It's not grounded in what we think about what we know or don't know. It's not grounded in what we uh, would like from God but feel limited Faith, true faith, is not grounded in, listen, experience. It's not grounded in your experience. It's not grounded in my experience. It's not grounded in my memory of what happened when this occasion occurred. It's not grounded in any temporal human understanding of anything, let alone some existential sensation that I had. Faith is not grounded in the subjective Real faith is grounded in the promise of Almighty God. Why? Because God God is perfect. He doesn't promise things He won't do. When you believe God like that, you're saying to God, I trust who you are. I don't care what I think about what you're doing. I don't care what the world says about what you are or aren't doing. I don't care what they say about whether you're believable or not. I don't really care about whether I have some list of experiences that I had that give me proof that you actually do act in my life. I'll tell you, the whole subjective, charismatic notion that somehow you can have these experiences and then use those to put God on trial. Well, I know God's real because he did this. Listen, if the scriptures tell you he does that kind of thing, then it's the scriptures, the very promise of almighty God because of its objectivity that grounds you. Not your view of it. Somebody says, well, I think this. <laughs> okay, great. Welcome to the world of human opinions. Well, I feel this. I'm glad you feel that. How do you know, by the way? It's subjective. How would you really know? Somebody says, well, I think God does this. You know, all I want you to know is that I'm going to ground my faith in the promise of God. Why? Because it is inextricably attached to His person. And I know this if I know anything. God is trustworthy. I'm not. Are you trustworthy? Not perfectly. I'm not trustworthy. My my thoughts aren't trustworthy. My opinions aren't trustworthy. My notions aren't trustworthy. Nothing about me is trustworthy unless it's produced by the Spirit of God. God, He's a rock. He's an anchor. Notice how she she calls Him the Mighty One. Verse 51, His mighty deeds. He brought down rulers from their thrones, exalted those who were humble. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and He sent away the rich empty-handed. Who can do that? A powerful God. I don't trust my opinion and my perspectives. I want to always have a healthy trust of anything that is related to fallen humanity. So anything that subjectively comes from me, I don't want to trust that. I know God is trustworthy. His character is trustworthy. He's the mighty one. Nothing is impossible with Him, as was said. Holy is His name, Mary said. God is the one who is to be trusted. And the riches of His salvation described here are based upon His promise. He spoke it to the fathers. Abraham and his descendants, look at this, forever, what was the promise? To give help. (laughs) Uh, To give help. And He's here. He's come. Now I suppose you could have come and pushed that young girl to the ground. It wouldn't have made a difference. She would have not been deterred, distracted at all. Her God was trustworthy. Has it been a long time since you really you know, just sort of enjoyed the pondering of God's truth? Maybe it's because you don't know enough of it. You need more of it. Has it been a long time since you were overwhelmed by the unworthiness of your own condition and the covering grace of God in Christ promised to Abraham and to his descendants forever? Has it been a long time since you opened God's Word and just simply accepted it and then went and did what God called you to do. I mean, Mary got up and went to visit Elizabeth. Has it been a long time since you've had your faith affirmed by the Word of God? Because you want your faith affirmed by, uh, you know, how your trial ended. Your trial ended, and so you believe God because it ended. Or, or you, you believe God because circumstances are not the way you like. Just put this one on there. Will there? We go. And you has it been a long time since you believed God simply because He promised it and you know His character is trustworthy? That's really the issue. And if it's been a long time, why don't you go back to what you see here? That what inspires the kind of worship God loves is real faith that acts. Real faith that submits. Maybe you could go all the way back to the reality that at the very beginning of this process where you could be praising God and could be magnifying Him, you actually don't believe. You say you believe, but you don't act on that belief. You want more, you expect more, you demand more. Or maybe you do believe, but you don't really think about proclaiming the truth because the honor of Christ isn't at your... Your, your highest priority. Maybe the honor of Christ is sub below your um, desire for your honor, your reputation. Maybe you're chasing things in the culture or this life or the temporal life, the happiness here that is preventing you from proclaiming as Mary does here. She is worshiping in a way that God loves. She is expressing humility as it's always expressed. The magnification of Christ's honor and the proclamation of the truth that honors Him. And that's because her faith is grounded where it always should be grounded. The character of her God. And that's what comes out. That's what comes out. It might fill you with raw emotion. It might not fill you with anything but Sober, quiet heartedness. It might on the one hand fill you with deep conviction and, uh, and something that you can feel. God made us emotional beings. Or it may be that emotionally you feel subdued. It may be in the middle of heartache and trial and tears. It may be at the height of some victory in your life. It may be when circumstances are good. It may be when they've just tanked. But God's character does not change. Because you know God is mighty, yet merciful. How can it be that the high King of heaven extends grace to us? So as a church, God does want us. We know that because Luke recorded this. He does want us to do what Mary did. Just obey. Just obey in faith. Don't look for something to drive you other than God's character. For He has done mighty deeds with His arm. Amen? Bow with me. Lord, this is a wonderfully sobering and humbling and exciting text of Scripture. All this came out of this sweet teenager. And how sad our lives have been when we think back of the years that it took to cause us to be serious about the truth. And here we have the Spirit of God, the same one that filled Elizabeth, the same one that drove Mary's heart, same Spirit that sent Gabriel, the same Spirit that wrote the truth. It's living within us as believers we make excuses as to why we can't worship like this. Lord, help us. Help us magnify you greatly. And to stop demanding things from you, but believe your character. And to know that when we come to you, we are to believe you're the rewarder of those who seek you. Lord, we pray that you'd produce in us humility, this kind of humility, that it would manifest itself in the proclamation of the truth that honors You and the magnification of Your character in our lives. May we look like You and begin to serve as You served us. And when someone asks us to make a defense for the hope that's within us, may we not hem and haw and try to gloss over the clear truth of redemption, but just simply say it as Mary said it. For You have done great things and Your arm brings down the proud and exalts the humble. You've promised it and You are bringing it to pass. This teenage girl only knew the front end of it and we see everything that You had planned. And as we wait for all that is yet to unfold, may we be like her and simply believe it because Your character. Never doubt. And then, Lord, Explode it forth in praise within our hearts we pray so that we might become those who rejoice in all things no matter what. That we might never lose sight of our unworthiness and this great work of redemption that You've brought to each one of us by granting us faith and repentance and giving us Christ our Savior. We petition you with these things in your precious name. Amen.